to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. of Southern Sense here, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Inter- in, in backwards, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most is the Radio Chickadee, Annie, and Curtis is not with us. He's on his own book signing tonight. So he could not join us for this special edition, and we're doing this for the one, the only, Peter W. Wood, who is the president of the National Association of Scholars and the author of a new book called Wrath, America Enraged. Oh, man, we had you on recently, Peter, and how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. We had you on because you wrote that great book, 1620, a critical response to the 1619 project. Um, And we had such a blast with you. And then when uh, Stephen uh, contacted me about you, I said, definitely have to get you back on. So I'm putting the book up in front of the camera so people can see all the little post-it notes that I have on the book, (laughs) having read it. So I don't even know where to start. We probably could do a full three hours on what's in that book and what is going on today. It is mind-boggling. And last night was a perfect example. A Coach Grodin just resigned from the Raiders because of an email that got dug up. And now we've got cancel culture all over again. But this is some of the things you address in your book. So let's get down to it. First question I want to know, because when you address this right off the bat at the very beginning of the book, the difference between anger and wrath. And explain to us 
what exactly the difference is and why it's important that we understand and determine what we're dealing with when we are dealing with situations like this. Well, I, I begin the book by saying the difference between anger and wrath is that anger says, how dare you? And wrath says, I will destroy you. Uh, it's a amping up of uh, anger past the level of being able to reconcile or fix whatever has uh, set the anger off. And it's not just more intense, it's more sustained than anger is. And it usually is combined with a sense of injustice that cannot be uh, settled in any other way. When people find that the avenues towards uh, fixing whatever it is that set the anger in motion have been cut off, uh, then you have nowhere left to go. The anger sort of backs up and boils over. This is uh, where we are as a country right now, I think, because so many people believe, I think justly, that there was something really fishy about the 2020 election and that the consequence of the small-scale riot of uh, January 6th being treated as an insurrection and finding people guilty of such things as trespassing or taking selfies uh, thrown in jail for nine months on trumped-up charges uh, has put us in the mood to realize that our government is no longer on our side. Uh, It's on somebody's side, but not ours. This uh, sense that the courts, the police, the judicial authorities in all their forms uh, are now serving the interests of a small elite that run the state, and we don't even know exactly who they are, uh, has put the majority of Americans in a position of being fearful and being uh, blocked from taking any ordinary kind of action. So the latest of that being, of course, uh, the Attorney General Merritt Garland announcing that parents who show up at school board meetings to uh, take exception to what's happening in the schools by way of the 1619 Project and race and transgenderism and those sorts of things, that those people are now domestic terrorists. Uh, It's astonishing. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and it's where wrath comes from. Well, you know, people think this is all something new, uh, and you address it as new anger. But if you look back at the history of our politics here in the United States, um, politicians would get up on their soapbox, and next thing you know, they're being torn down from the soapbox and tarred and feathered. So (laughs) politics always had anger in it. See, that's one thing I didn't see you put in the book, because I grew up, uh, just burying myself in the history of the Revolutionary War. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. the town I grew in was one of the battle sites also. So, you know, it was something that I became you know, steeped in. So, you know, we've always had anger. But what makes this a new anger? What makes it different? Well, uh, first of all, I, I may have downplayed it, but it is in the book that Anger is part of human nature, and politics is one of its natural places. Politics is about opposition and disagreement, and wherever you have that, you've got plenty of potential for people getting angry and acting it out. Um, The distinction that I make between old anger and new anger uh, turns on the idea that anger was something that we were once a bit reluctant to go to. We could be pushed to it. 
Um, we were oftentimes regretful afterwards. But the new anger is a boastful anger. It's anger that performs itself in public and looks for applause. Uh, it's a, a form of anger that's proud of itself and has no restraint built into it because it's so coupled with our vanity. The angrier we get in public and can show it off, uh, the more uh, points we grant ourselves for, well, I showed him. Uh, now, that, although I'm calling it new anger, of course, is not entirely new. The sort of the boastful bully is a type that we recognize from uh, the past all the way back to Goliath, but we are not uh, people who have in the past made heroes out of those bullies. Now we do. We are, uh, they, you know, that that Capitol Hill policeman who shot an unarmed woman uh, for the threat that she might go through a window uh, is a bully, and he is being heralded by uh, Speaker Pelosi and others as a hero, a hero for shooting an unarmed person. Um, that seems to me to be, uh, it fits with the idea of a new anger. He got upset that someone was defying his authority, so he killed him and gets away with it. Uh, this is... Uh, Something that I think doesn't necessarily emerge out of the uh, uh, sh sheer new beginning, but it does have a history to it. Uh, up until World War II, we were a nation that put a pretty strong taboo on public expressions of anger and treated those who resorted to anger frequently or too intensely uh, as uh, oh, as weaklings. They had the inability to control their emotions. After World War II, a couple of things happened. They first seemed sort of by the way, but that's when uh, Freud's psychoanalytic uh, approaches made real uh, headway in the U.S. Um, what did that teach? It taught that repressing your anger will come back at you as neurosis, mental illness. So it's better to let it all out. So we now had a medical reason to license anger. We also had the importation of uh, European existentialism, which comes with the lesson that the most authentic way to be was to be uh, tre trending towards your own emotions. So express yourself vividly and that found its way into American culture, first on the edges, but then it ate its way into the very center. The uh, way in which we raise our children is the crucial factor in this. If you teach children that it's perfectly okay to have a tantrum and to wail until you get your way, those children will grow up to be people who have very little, if any, emotional self-control. They'll be proud of their ability to scream at the waiter or... Uh, put on a scene in a uh, public place just because they feel like doing it. Now, those are the aspects of everyday life. I, I see this smog of anger around me all the time, um, but it's now become a instrument of political control as well, where our national political elite uh, realizes that there are millions of people primed to be angry and proud of it and that they can be turned out for demonstrations, riots, tearing down statues, burning courthouses or police stations uh, with very 
little trouble. It's easy to turn the key on this uh, as long as you're talking about people who have embraced the left-wing concept of self-expression as triumphant over everything else. With conservatives, it's different. Uh, they, too, have been touched by the agriculture, as they call it, uh, but they're still reluctant to go out into the street. We didn't see the Tea Party 10 years ago uh, burning buildings. They were notorious for leaving sites where they had assembled cleaner than they were when they came. Uh, that uh, temperamental reluctance to be angry is something that I hope we can capture again and sustain because we're being pushed awfully hard. The left would love nothing more than to see conservatives break out and riot because that would give them the excuse they're thirsting for to bring in the uh, National Guard and the FBI and others to really put down what they see as a rebellion. Well, I think we should have a rebellion, but we need to have a soft rebellion, resistance, do what the uh, uh, airplane pilots and air traffic controllers are doing and others who just refuse to submit to the illegitimate authority of our government. That's the best way to take our wrath and put it where it will do some good. Well, you just covered about four different questions I had scribbled down on my little uh, <laughs> pad here because you talk about loss of self-control. And I trace that back to the loss of moral values. You no longer are restrained by moral values, by Judeo-Christian values. So it's perfectly fine to intrude on someone else, even though, yeah, you're venting your anger, you're expressing your emotions, you're being yourself. But what is that doing to the people around you? I also add it to herd mentality. Because when we see with this Antifa and the BLM riots, it, it's just follow the leader. Uh, we saw this with the January 6th riot at the Capitol. However, we're finding out that there were instigators in there planted to lead the sheeple to <laughs> the trough. Um, exactly. You talk, there's so much that you covered in that one. And you talked about the intellectual elite. And most of this had formed in the college campuses. These bad ideas, as you write in your book, formulated in the college campuses, the loss of free speech, uh, the loss of your liberty. Now we have college campuses that want to go back to segregation. Didn't we fight a civil rights battle just to desegregate our population? They want to go back to what it was in the 30s and 40s. I mean, some of the stuff that's coming out of the critical race theory, the 1619, all this bubbles off the college campuses. So how do we dampen that anger and those ideas? Well, uh, you're certainly right that college campuses are the, the, uh, the source, deep source of a lot of this mischief. Um, I don't think they're alone in that, that parents, families have a lot to do with it as well. But the college campuses give it uh, a rationalization and, and teach that it's righteous and they put people together uh, as they weren't when they were just at home uh, in sort of aggregations of people who feed off each other's energy. So 
you get a Black Lives Matter movement, which didn't start on college campuses, but actually took off when it reached the college campuses uh, as, as something that seems to people to be a license for righteous fury. And once righteous fury is going, uh, it's not really self-governing. It's taking the form of a, uh, a collective mind in which people uh, egg each other on to ever more extreme forms of destruction. Now, here where I am in New York City, when the uh, summer of riots was taking place, there were two young people, both had just gotten through law school and had sort of promising lives. They firebombed a police cruiser with police in it. Now, fortunately, nobody was killed in that, but we're talking about people who you would think would know better. They'd studied the law, and yet they're willing, once they get involved with the crowd, to just take up that excitement and let it overwhelm every sense of proportion and judgment that they might have. Uh, why does higher education do this? Well, that's, as you say, a conversation for many hours, but critical race theory is a product of the universities. This uh, idea that uh, the uh, philosopher uh, Herbert Marcuse called repressive tolerance, uh, the, the term is meaningless, but what it uh, evokes is that it's not a good idea to tolerate opinions that disagree with yours. Uh, the only people who should be tolerated are those who uphold the revolutionary doctrine that Marcuse himself was teaching. One of his students was Angela Davis, we, so we know where that went. Uh, the This notion that uh, law is for dummies and that uh, the truly awakened people, we call them woke now, uh, make their own laws as they go along. They seize power, um, like Mao used to say, through the barrel of a gun, uh, and they're using that power to impose on America something very much like a dictatorship. It may be truly a dictatorship before long, since we're getting edicts pushed down on us without the consent of the governed. Uh, the notion of popular representation is out the window when elections are stolen or bent, and the uh, world in which we now live is one in which people who weren't truly elected uh, are aggregating to themselves the power to force upon everyone else their vision of what an America should be. And that's, that's a vision I'd say most Americans find repugnant. We don't want to be uh, captive to the economic, political, social, and religious dictates of an elite that uh, views itself as privileged and everybody else as deplorable. Well, I wrote down in my notes, I always have a book that has a, what I call a boom moment. That's when the truth just is right there, the main reason why this is all happening. And you wrote about it was permission. When we have our elected officials, our mainstream media, our intellectually elite say, well, it's, this is perfectly fine, this behavior, this rioting, this looting, this defunding the police, this attacking the very foundation of this nation, the fact that they are permitted to, complete, to continue to do this, and yet you have the January 6th rioters still sitting in jail, but no one is being prosecuted for the massive destruction that was done. 
the massive trampling of our rights that have been performed, and the very idea that the Constitution is racist and outdated. Obviously, they never read it or understood what it was built upon because we have permitted it to occur. But I think there's an awakening. You call it the Pollyanna. Those of us that have hope and and look forward to a great future here, we're still here, and we're saying that it's not all bad. We can we can reclaim this. Can we? Can we reclaim it? I think I think we can. But since you mentioned Pollyanna, I should probably uh, say to the listeners, Pollyanna isn't who you think she is. Uh, if you were to go back to read the original book about her, she's made of pretty tough stuff, and her optimism. Uh, is summoned as a way of dealing with uh, forms of imposition on her that make her into an admirable character. We think of Pollyanna as somebody who just blithely thinks is a, uh, everything is going to turn out all right all by itself. That's not who she is. Uh, if I recommend Pollyanna as someone we should hearken to, it's because we need to be tough. And uh, there is a way in which we can rescue our great nation. Uh, it's only going to come by facing with steely gaze what exactly is being done to us and being determined to say no, no more. This shall not pass. We will resist. Uh, there's going to be cost to that. Innocent people are already being thrown into jail. No doubt that will happen to others. Uh, they may go beyond throwing innocent people into jail. There was that one unarmed young woman uh, murdered at the Capitol by a Capitol Hill policeman. We've seen videos now of other people in the uh, uh, police and armed services saying that they would be happy to take up arms against their fellow citizens. That threat is out there, and it's real, uh, but we have to count on the fact that uh, there's a moral center to America still, and we need to appeal to people to uh, understand that who we are is not a bunch of people who are going to go out and riot, uh, who are going to take up arms unnecessarily, and that we can defend ourselves uh, brilliantly, I think, by simply refusing to cooperate with a government that has lost its legitimacy. Well, you'd be very happy to know, just before I started the interview with you, a couple of hours before, I was interviewed by the local newspaper because I sent a censure to Lindsey Graham's office, and I also sent it to our state GOP, my county GOP, and two uh, other groups. And it's like, oh, wow, why'd you do this? Uh, because he had voted for the infrastructure bill. And he, he, he writes back, he's happy to do that. And in the interim... I have been organizing a sign-waving because this November 2nd we have a county council that is a dictatorship. Uh, they want to remove our ability to vote for two positions in our county, the two most vital that handle our money. Um, so they want total control of our taxes uh, without our say. Uh, so we're fighting them on that, plus the charging of an additional sales tax when at the height of the pandemic, the county council voted themselves a pay raise when people were losing jobs, being laid off. Talk about a tone-deaf government. So, as I said, there are those of us out there still fighting. And they were so surprised to find out since 2009, 
Uh, I have been one of the founders of the Tea Party, and when everyone else stopped in the leadership, I maintained it since then, and I've got a meeting coming up on the 18th. So we are out there fighting. The Pollyannas are still out there, and we're proud to wear that name. Good. I'm heartened to hear that, and I hope that many others will be out there with you. Now, and also in your book, you turn around and say, um, there is righteous anger. There is justified anger. But it's what you do with it, as you explain in your book. How do you channel it and make it productive and not destructive, correct? Yes, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, I'm not counseling in wrath that we not feel wrath. I think that is the right emotion at this point. The question is, where do you go with the wrath once you have recognized that that's what's driving you? Uh, I think it's not to pick up your AR-15 or to uh, uh, look up the recipe for a Molotov cocktail. It's to do what you're doing. Figure out how to organize, how to find fellow citizens who are sufficiently determined to protect our Constitution, our liberties, and uh, do what actions are necessary, not the leftist slogans by any means necessary, because some means are evil and destructive. And when you pursue those means, you become the enemy. Don't do that. Find instead the way to take action against those who are oppressing us by persuading them, if you can, peacefully by words. If you can't, by passive resistance. Don't let them do what they want to do. And if you can do that, your wrath will serve you well, and moreover, it will serve your fellow Americans well. Well, when you wrote it in the area of the book, when you're talking about walking through the streets of Boston looking for signs of anger, and you were then describing what's going on in New York City, well, two things, two emotions hit me. Total sadness, because we worked hard. Those of us, my fellow men and women in blue in NYPD, we worked very hard to clean those streets up in the 80s and 90s. And when I look at all the hard work we did and what that city has turned into, my heart breaks, and I pray for those men and women out there in blue. But you, you talk about the little signs every day that people have of anger, be it by their clothing or by bumper stickers. And then I had to laugh because I had just gotten new bumper stickers in that I designed and created and one of them has a picture of Trump waving on it, and it says, Making Liberals Cry Since 2016, Trump 2024. And the other one is Trump again smiling and waving and says, Miss me yet? Trump 2024. So I'm like, well, was that done of anger or an urge to get people to think? Well, if this, uh, Trump is waving and smiling, I'd say uh, the anger has been subordinated to your desire to cheer people up and give them some hope. So, uh, of course, any mention of Trump where I live now in New York City is uh, uh, likely to make other people angry, and I have to watch my step and realize who I'm talking to at any given point. But I don't do what I do in the hope of provoking other people. I, I want to, and I think you do too, uh, persuade Americans that we can dig ourselves out of this terrible situation that we're in. Um, the uh, 
I don't now argue with people over whether the uh, 2020 election was stolen. I believe it was. But uh, I found, uh, even in my local church group, that uh, expressing that opinion was uh, uh, a terrible uh, way to continue the conversation. So I now <laughs> look for more subtle ways to uh, proceed. So our... Uh, one of our community groups broke up over precisely that when uh, the uh, some of my fellow parishioners were uh, almost giddy with their happiness that uh, uh, Biden had won two days after the election. And then uh, I said, well, I'm not sure he won at all. And then all hell broke loose. <laughs> well, yeah, there's usually a time and place when you can bring it up. Uh, but... You have to sometimes walk a tightrope uh, when you deal with the situation like that. But I, I'm unabashedly, you know, people know what I stand for. I pull up to church. I've got a Trump hat sitting on my front dashboard with my bumper stickers on the tailgate. Um, but you know, you this is not the only book you've got. How many do you have out there now? Oh, uh, four rather big books and two shorter ones. Well, there's a link to Encounter Books uh, that the people can go over there and buy your book, Wrath, America, Enraged. And when I was doing my homework, and you know me, I, I will look for stuff. You had a fantastic uh, testimony before the Judiciary House Judiciary Committee back in September 2018, which was uh, printed in your group's uh, website, National Association of Scholars, talking about angry culture and disagreement, and you picked out 14 people that were cancel cultured because of where they stood on some of the most innocuous things you could possibly think a person being angry about. Um, but there is hope that we can take our, our nation back and preserve our republic, isn't there? I'm sure there is hope. That's what we live for, and the the hope resides in conversations like the one we're having right now and and the at least 75 million people who voted for Trump and who did so in the spirit that uh, this was a great nation that had the potential to become even better. Those people haven't gone anywhere. They're still here. Um, and there are probably many more of them whose votes weren't counted. Um, I think there is an absolute majority of Americans who love their country and who love it not just as a a political slogan, but they truly love it, and who are ready to make some sacrifices in order to sustain our freedom. Uh, we're we're a revolutionary people from early on, and uh, even before the American Revolution, we were pioneering new ways of governing ourselves and discovering how it is we could live together uh, without a king. And now we are once again faced with a, a kind of uh, monarchy of some sort being imposed on us without the consent of the governed, um, we know what to do deep in our bones. We know that we have to stand up and model for others what it is to be a free person who does not take orders from those who are uh, abusing our political system for their own advantage. Exactly. You know, know what 
side of right you stand on. Be willing to stand up for it. But don't do it, it with malice. Don't do it with wrath. But do it with courage and dignity. And I would say that's important. You know, show as a good model how we do make the stance. And you'll be amazed on what how many mountains we can move. Peter, it's an absolutely fantastic book, Wrath, American Enraged. And I recommend people picking it up, and it will open up a lot of eyes and minds, and maybe we can get this nation moving back forward again. God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Oh, thank you so much. All right, and we'll have, have to have you back on when you have a Friday available. So you pick one out, <laughs> tell Stephen to call me, and we'll get you back on so we can talk more about this, because this is an endless subject. Yes, it is. Well, thanks for having me, and I will... Uh, Email Stephen right now and see if we can set something up. <laughs> okay, okay, great. You have a blessed day. All right. You too. Peter Wood, uh, check his books out at EncounterBooks.com. And this will end up concluding our special broadcast uh, because he was not available to go with this this Friday. His book is just coming out. You can check it out also up on Amazon, um, and it's fantastic. So I want to thank everyone and last-minute people that – bounced into the chat room here. Hello, Duck. And those that were watching and listening over on Facebook and YouTube. And we'll be putting this out on the rest of the social networks. And we will be back here on Friday. We've got ourselves a full lineup. Curtis will be back with us today. He couldn't be with me because he had his own book signing. Uh, We're going to find out how far he is about getting one of his other books into a movie soon. Um, But I want to thank you for joining us. And I'll leave you with our favorite closing song by my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. Until then, I say good night and God bless. I have loved them.